Hello and welcome to Ball in the Real World. Right back at you with some NBL talk. My name is Olga Norwich. I am your host. And as always, I am joined by my fellow ESPN contributor, Steve Smith. Steve, how are you? Olgan, I'm extraordinarily well. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing really well. There's been a lot of news, a lot of a lot. players coming in, which we weren't really expecting at this point in the season. I, I wrote before the season that this is probably going to be the one where we're not going to see too many additions and subtractions just because of COVID and that makes things difficult. But <laughs> apparently not. Since we last left you guys, Donald Sloan is out. Uh, our reporting is that Brandon Paul is in. Ryan Brockoff is headed to Southeast Melbourne. Um, there's just a lot of stuff happening. Um, we're going to go right off the bat with the Brockoff stuff. Um, so he's joined that team on a one-year deal. He's a replacement for Mike Carina, who was a replacement for Dane Pinner. So Mike Carina, he will be missed. Um but Brockoff on this team, just your first thought when when you saw that it was there was potential that he'd get in there, and when he did end up signing with that team, what was the first thing that sort of went through your mind? Just an absolutely incredible get for them. I think just he makes them so much better, especially at the offensive end, and especially like in something like a late game or a, or a late shot clock scenario. So because he's just lethal on a, on a catch and shoot, right? So he automatically upgrades them at that end. I think that's the biggest key for them. Are they automatic contenders? Probably it's a little early to say, but it certainly puts them right in that top four conversation more so than they were previously. Yeah, when we were going into the season, I think the two things with Southeast Melbourne were uh, how much they'd get from Glidden and Tarangi. They, they were the two sort of X factors. They Those two can either win you a game or lose you a game. I think we've seen that this season too. Um, but then it's also their depth. So I think Ryan Brockhoff helps fix the inconsistencies that you're going to see with Tarangi and Glidden in, in those two and three spots. Um, but at the same time, I think that does, doesn't does fix their depth because you have Tarangi coming off the bench now. And I, I think he's really serviceable. Um, I think it helps it. But like you said, I think it's like, a, it's a, this team gets thrust into a legitimate finals conversation. Um, whether that's a title conversation is a different story. Um, but when, when this signing first happened, I, I think of Brockoff and, I've seen enough of him and just because he's been, you know, a boomer's staple for long enough. Um, but he's not a guy that is going to, you're going to give the ball to and he's going to go and take over a game, right? He's not a, yeah. in the same way that Bryce Cotton, you can throw him the ball and he'll go to work. And even a Jock Landau, you can give it to him down low and he can create and, and whatnot. Ryan Brockoff isn't that guy, right? No, no. And I think what they're going to get most is, Obviously, they're going to get some shooting. Like that, That's the primary thing. I think the underrated thing, and Simon Mitchell talked about it, was his rebounding at his position. It's sneakily good. He's actually quite a good rebounder in traffic. So I think that that helps them there. I think more than anything else, it pushes Southeast Melbourne's ceiling a bit higher. I think yeah. that, that they, were, they, they were pushing against, you know, okay, can we finish fourth? Now, a top two, top three spot isn't out of the question because – if you have a starting five that's Sykes, Creek, Yanni, Brockoff, and say for argument's sake, Cam Glidden, that's, there's, there's a few weapons there that can hurt you in different ways. And I think the, so the, the team I think is perfect for him um, because you have Sykes and you have Creek. They're two of, I think, the better ball carriers in the NBL. Um, 
as soon as the ball's in their hands, if you have someone like Yanni Wetzel, who has shown to be a solid finisher around the mm. rim, both with his touch and athleticism, if you have Glidden, who can get hot in stretches, and then now just probably the most reliable shooter in the, in the NBL, in Brockhoff, also spreading the floor, just creating space for Sykes and Creek, who are just so adept at getting on the rim and creating for themselves and others. I think it's just a perfect fit from what I was told. So Brockhoff's people would really set on either the NBA or Europe. He really likes Europe, apparently. Mm. That's, that's his yeah. thing. Um, and if he was going to come back here, it was going to be to go home. There, there, was, there, yeah. there were some other teams who did show interest in him, but the yeah. first thing he told them was, look, if I'm going to be in the NBA, I'm, just, I'm definitely going home. Um, do you think this also lifts the ceiling for guys like Creek and Sykes who, again, they've been really solid so far just as the main creators on this team. But now they just like, we can't under, underestimate how much spacing matters and how much just having gonna, room to operate matters. Yeah. How much does it help those two guys? Oh my, I was going to talk about gravity and, and how much Brokoff's gravity is going to help, yeah. especially someone like Sykes, because he's going to have the ball at the top and you cannot leave a Brokoff alone. And certainly now you're probably going to leave Kanglin and Tarangia less. You can't leave them now either. So he, he just adds an extra dimension that opens up the floor for both Sykes and Creek. Um, I just, he's, he's going to help them in so many ways at, at, at that end. Like they haven't a negative percentage, like they're being outscored at the moment. And so he's not going to help yeah. defensively a lot, but he might help them offensively enough that that won't matter. That is true. Um, and I think him coming into the league, it raises the, the question, which I want to talk to you about um, who is the best, who's the best local player in the NBL? Because before this signing, you'd look at a Landale. Um, you would look at potentially a, a McCarran, a Creek. Um, you would see Isaac Humphreys in the way that he's performing right now. Now you have Brockoff coming in. He had his stint in the NBA, which was sort of, you know, up and down, but he's a boomer staple as well. And so Right now, I, I, I'm not entirely sure where I sit on this one, but where do you sit on who the best Australian player in the NBL currently is? Okay, I, I still think it's Landale, and I still think it's Landale by... Th th there's a margin there between first and, and second. I, I, I think Rowdy's actually probably you the second so? best. Yeah, I, I do. His versatility and what he's doing in this league at the moment, I think he... There's an argument to mate. he shouldn't be playing NBL. He should be playing in a higher league. Yeah, okay. I, 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 so, I, so I, I, I have that as, as my, my benchmark, if you will. So if, if that's the benchmark, then I think he's clearly the best Australian player in the, in the NBL. There's a group after that that includes Rowdy and Mitch Creek and then guys like Isaac Humphreys, DJ, Chris Golding, like all those guys are in, like there's, you know, say 15 of the league's top scorers. There's six guys who are in that top 15 and they're all local players. Yeah, and I think that's that's the one thing that's sort of separating some teams right now, I think. Having mm. really solid local talent. I think maybe the only team that... So I think the Wildcats are sort of different in that regard as far as their two main guys leading the way. But I think their lack of local talent is what's going to maybe hurt them down the stretch. Um, yep. I wonder if the same is going to happen with the Illawarra Hawks, um, who we're now calling the Illawarra Hawks. I feel like too much news happens. Um, <laughs> just in between when we meet. Um, I know. <laughs> but, and, then, and then you have a team like the Adelaide 36ers who do have Isaac Humphreys, who's, I think, 
Corey Homicide Williams has called him the MVP. I think that's a legitimate conversation to have too. Um, where does he sit? And obviously I'm biased. I've known Isaac for a long time. We went to school together. But where does he sit in this conversation considering the way he's playing on both ends of, of the floor? Do you do you see a like for like with Landale as far as talent goes? Yeah, it's it's pretty close. I, I still think there's that separation in, in talent. I, I would have him in that in that second tier of, of really, really good Australian players. That he's, he's definitely answered the question that we had at the start of the season in that how are him and, and DJ going to go side by side together? And that's been answered yeah. emphatically. I, I, I think that they've been the premier big man combination in the league this season. Um, yeah. Adelaide has, has you know, done really well considering the question marks a lot of people had over them. So he's, he's right there. I, it's still Landale for mine. I just, you, you can put him in almost any offensive situation and he's going to get you something. He's, he, he can shoot from deep. He's efficient down low. He passes well. He, he blocks shots. He rebounds and he scores. Uh, I, I honestly, he's at the moment he's my pick for MVP. But I can see why Humphreys is is in the conversation as well. Absolutely. Honestly, if if United keeps performing the way they are, or at least at a similar level, it's really difficult to go past Landau for MVP. Mm. Um, yep. Just again, what he's doing at both ends, it, what he does defensively isn't. Um, talked about as much as what Isaac Humphries is doing defensively, just because block shots is tangible and that's something mm. that we see. Um, but what Landale does defensively changes a game. Um, yeah. And man, I've been surprised at how well he's been able to shoot the ball and not just, you know, catch and shoots off of pops. You know, he's walking into threes. He's, you know, yeah, in yeah. semi-transition and on the break, he's pulling up and I didn't, he didn't have that at St. Mary's. Um, and he's short. No. He looks like a guard when he pulls up now. Um, and I think that's such a difference maker for him. And I think that's the thing that's going to get him over the line as far as getting an NBA deal down the track. There was a point where NBA teams would tell me, what's Landau's NBA skill? And for a moment, that was a legitimate question. You know, he was good in the post, but how useful is that in the NBA in 2020, unless you're Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic? With his ability to legitimately stretch the floor, I, I think sky's the limit as far as how well he can go, especially because you you package that with his mobility and his ability to to defend and the athleticism that just keep, keeps getting better and better. Yeah, that 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 shot, that three point shot, is is a result of pure hard work and reps. And to be yeah. shooting forty five percent from from out there as as a big man, that's all you could ever ask for any big man in this in this league or any league for that matter. So I, I think you're right. I think he's he's absolutely I talked about ceilings before, but he's done the same thing. He's he's raised that ceiling on what, where he can go and what he can do exponentially. And so let's talk about United then, because at this point they're just they're six and zero going into the bubble, um, where they're going to have eight straight home games, right? Like home is in quotation marks, right? Um, yeah. But this United team, even with Golding out injured, you know, I think it was last week the. It was three to four weeks. He was three to four weeks away. Same with Shea Ely. Mm. They've had Udai Barber step up. Jack White has stepped up in a huge way. Mitch McCarron is looking like the sort of MVP candidate he was a few years ago. You know, are they as good as we think they are, even with all of these injuries? Is it... So for, for a while, I've always had just... It's been Melbourne United and then the rest. Um, and there's definitely a team that's at the very bottom. I'm still not sure who it is yet. I'm probably leaning New Zealand right now, which is crazy. Yeah, but yep. there's probably a team down there. But but it's just there are two tiers. There's just Melbourne mm. United and then the rest. Do you subscribe to that as well? 
Yeah, I, I really do. I, I was a little bit, you know, so iffy at the start of the season. You know, we we talked about can United go undefeated and things like that, and I, I still think there's there's room in there for for that to not happen because it, it only takes one night where everything goes wrong for you offensively. You might have an injury, and the yeah. other team shoots the absolute lights out. Like those those games happen. So to go undefeated is is an enormous ask. But every game they yeah. just look just absolutely, you know. They're in sync and they don't they don't give up leads. Like they don't drop things. They don't drop their bundle. Even in that game against Cairns early, Cairns made a late run. They they kept their heads. They, they've got enough savvy veterans to to know what to do, to know how to execute down the stretch. And they've got so much depth that it's it's almost unfair. Like if you any other team loses Chris Golding and and Shay Illy, like that that's your backcourt depth gone. Yeah. And Barber and Jack White just step in and it's it's almost seamless. It's 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 unfair almost. And and I think a big part of that too is the versatility. I want I'd call it the mental versatility of someone like Mitch McCarron and a Jock mm. Landale, who yep. when they, they, they can sort of pick their spots in and yep. when when United is healthy, they know that you know if Chris Golding's rolling, get it to Chris. Right. They yep. they know to do that. Um but then when Chris is out and Shea Illy is out and they need some scoring and they need production from you, Mitch McCarron knows that, okay, it's my time to step up. Jock yep. Landau can say, oh, it's my time to step up. But yep. until that time came, they were, they were sort of willing to take a step back and mm. sort of just play their role on a team. And I feel like that's something that's really underrated with this team. It's not like, yep. it's not like that Sydney Kings team from last year or two years ago where you, know, you have so much talent, but do, does it really fit? Do, yeah. do they, does everyone know their respective role? This team doesn't look like that. And I think that's a lot of credit to McCarron, Landale and, and Vickerman too. You know, Dean yeah. Vickerman is sort of, a, I think he's a coach that can uh, help a good culture blossom. And I think that's exactly what he's doing. And I think they've demonstrated that so far. Absolutely. And I think the other underrated aspect has been Dave Barlow. It, it doesn't show up on the stat yeah. sheet or in the box scores, but that's a veteran presence and he knows when he, he knows he knows his role to perfection. Like he can do this in his sleep now. So he just does all the little things. He he's just he's just an older, savvier version of Jack White, really. So, you know, he just they they all get the job done. It's 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 very much a know your role and and go out and do it. Yeah. During United games, I have I got I got a text from an NBL player. He just said, Dave Barlow's a robot. And he just he just yeah. is. He's just this he's just yeah. a machine. He again, he just does his role and he just he just seemingly doesn't miss threes. He plays good D. He's just the perfect yep. role player for that team. Um and I think Rebounds, again, pieces hundred percent pieces like that are what's gonna get this team over the line and maybe not undefeated, but finish at the top, right? It, you know they've got the talent, but the ability for those guys to buy into is I think what is the difference maker for them on the other end. I spoke about the breakers right now. They're just looking all out of whack. Right. And again, you can put a lot of that down to just the mental toll it takes for them to be on the road for so long. And you naturally sympathize with that. It's very difficult what they're doing. Um, And again, they're the team that's sort of keeping this league rolling, right? They, they have to, play this role of being the ultimate road warriors because they literally can't go home. Um, yeah. But it's, it's, it's on the court too. It's just, I, things don't seem to be, to be fitting, right? Ty Webster and Corey Webster, 
it's almost like they're playing two on five at times. Mm-hmm. Then you put Lamar Patterson on. He doesn't seem to work with those two guys. But when you put Patterson on with, with some of the other role players, it seems to work really well. What are we? Is this too early to talk about them as a team that, that doesn't fit? Or is are, are these concerns legitimate? I think it's a combination of both, to be honest. I, I, I just, I don't envy them this situation. It's almost impossible. How, how do you find a playing rhythm when, you, when you're never sleeping in your own bed, when you don't have any of the familiarities that you're used to having and that every other team enjoys? So, you know, credit, credit to Dan Shamir. Like he said, you know, we don't, we don't want to make excuses. And, you know, but if anyone has a legit reason, it's them. Um, yeah. But as he said, no one's feeling sorry for them either. So they, they, they kind of have to suck it up in, in some respects and, and try and, and get on with it. But yeah, at times it, they've looked really disjointed. And I think the conversation needs to be had around Lamar Patterson. I, I think we need to talk about him a little bit and, and what he's not doing and what he's not bringing. Because right now he's almost, he's almost halved his, his NBL scoring average. Like he's, he's barely in double digits. He's, you know, the game against the, their last game against Sydney, he hit a three at the end, and that was his first field goal whole game. He went three of six from the free throw line, one of eight from the field. Like these are not. That's what I was going to ask you that. Like it's we we talk about Lamar Patterson coming in out of shape, right? And it's to a point where, yeah, he does this. We we've seen this happen before, but it's just it's clear how much this is affecting the team. And mm. this isn't the sort of season where you can give up games like that and you can give up your ability to to dominate in the way that we know he can but in, in your mind is it a legitimate conversation to say that yeah he's coming out of shape and and that's not okay like that that's not what as in this yeah, team I, can't can't function with him like that no not at all i like if he plays even remotely well against sydney they win that game like that's yeah. it's, it's, it's as simple as that you know like, and that's so this is essentially now it's costing them wins like it's it's one thing to to sort of come in and, and not be in shape and play yourself in, into shape and if the team's going okay then that probably doesn't matter as much but if you know you're only contributing six points in a, in a in a loss when your role is clearly to not just be a facilitator but also be one of the three offensive you know options on your team what, what how how are you helping? Yeah, and it, I I also just don't think it helps considering the other pieces they have on that team. Mm. Colton Iverson yeah. isn't the type of player. He's not going to be a Landale, right? He's no. played at a similar level to Landale, but he's not the sort of guy who you can throw the ball into and he's going to go get you a bucket. He's not that kind of player. No, and so if, if Colton Iverson is not going to be that guy and Ty Webster plays the way he does, we, we've seen stretches where they move the ball really well and, and Ty Webster gets in the lane and creates and, and things look really smooth. But that doesn't seem to be the, the culture that, that's being fostered consistently. Um, and again, because going into the season, we spoke about New Zealand as the sort of team that has those pieces and then they have those role players that, that can really make an impact next to them. Guys like Rob Lowe, Jared Weeks, who's not really getting much of a run. But Rasmus mm-hmm. Batch is, is making an impact too. For them not to be able to, to get the most out of those guys because the elite guys aren't functioning, that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. Um, and it all snowballs, doesn't it? Because one, because it, it only takes, you know, that at that top level for it to, to come further down. So they're, they're not getting the production that they need from the top and asking guys who are ostensibly role players to replace that production, that that's not going to work. 
So yeah. I'm, I'm just not sure what they do to rectify this. That's, that's the bigger problem. One thing they did try to do, and this is a, a tremendous segue from me, um, is they inquired about Brandon Paul before Brandon Paul made the decision to sign with the Adelaide 36ers, which something that was reported by Sportando, I confirmed it for ESPN. Brandon Paul, you know, played a season in the NBA, um, was with Olympiacos relatively recently, a really uh, seasoned wing out of Europe right now. Um, you know, solid shooter, good athlete. He was someone who the breakers inquired about as a potential replacement for Lamar Patterson. Now that obviously didn't eventuate, um, and Brandon Paul has since agreed to a deal with the 36ers and I expect him to get here after the hub. But he was a guy who they asked about. And so you can tell that those the, the issues and the concerns that we're all seeing, they're feeling it inside too. They're not, they're not ignorant to what's happening. Um, but to, to talk about Brandon Paul, which I think we, should, we can move on to talk about the 36ers and what they're adding. Do you think he makes a difference for that team? Because we've seen the 36ers. It's super interesting. They When they focus on what they're really good at, which is playing through their two big guys, right? Which is what they went into the season trying to do. Play through Isaac Humphries and Daniel Johnson. And then in stretches, let Josh Giddy do his thing, right? We, we, we've seen glimpses of, of how effective he is handling the ball and creating players as the lead guard on that team. Do you think adding a Brandon Paul, who could be an elite wing player in the NBL, do you think that changes their projection enough or, or do you think they need more than what Brandon Paul can give? No, I think it's, 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 it's a pretty good signing really, isn't it? Like it's the big body wing that they need at both ends. So like he's 6'4", 200. It's good size. He's not going to get pushed around. He's versatile at both ends of the floor. He can shoot the three. So he opens up the floor a little bit more. It gives them more space for DJ and, and Humphreys. If, if you've got him on a wing, Giddy, at the, Giddy with the ball in his hands can get downhill in a hurry. So it just opens them up so much more. It, it gives them so many more options. It's, it's a different level of, of, of how it's going to work, say, with Brokoff with, with the Phoenix, but it's no less impactful, I think, in terms of what he can do for them. And especially at the de- defensive end as well. Again, this is another team that has been outscored and you know, clear that they have some defensive deficiencies. And I think he's going to really help there. I agree. And having a defensive trio that can have a Sunday Detch, Isaac Humphreys yeah. and Brandon Paul, make, that's, that's really, that's difficult to score on. Um, and and so my, the feeling I get is that Paul would sort of step right into the starting lineup, effectively replacing Tony Crocker there and Crocker would come yep. off the bench. We've seen mm. glimpses of what Crocker can do, um, but Crocker is effectively a, like a Brandon Paul light. Um, he, he does the same stuff, but just at a, at a lower level. And so I think if you're adding an elite Euroleague level wing like Paul, which is what you were sort of hoping for with Crocker, and then having Crocker mm. come off the bench and being a, a spark plug of sorts and, and being able to score the ball at a decent level because that team does have some issues with their depth. I think, I think they have the potential to, to get over the line as far as a finals appearance because with only two imports, a, a team... These, these rosters, these teams are relying on their locals more. And I, I feel like I, there's, a, we, we, there's reason to have a semblance of trust in the local talent on this 36ers team that makes you think that they can get over the line. Yeah, like, I, you know, no, there's no other team in the league that has as much depth as United. So there's no point really comparing them. But I think Adelaide's yeah. local depth of talent 
is as good as anyone else's. Like, and they've got a really solid eight-man rotation now. If if Brandon Paul is exactly as advertised, that's pretty good. And I think it's 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 playoff good. Yeah, I agree. Um, look, let's talk hub because the hub is coming up. There was there was there were fears around it. Um, I don't know. Were you subject to the the lockdown laws in Victoria? I was. I was. So uh, it, it's you, you sort of get used to it after a while. It's like wearing a, an old but particularly uncomfortable you know pair of shoes. Um, <laughs> so it's the, the last five yeah, the last five days have just been similar to what they were you know four or five months ago. So you, you kind of get used to it. But you know the NBL Cup. I'm I'm really excited for um, not least of which you'll be in uh, in my fair city, Olgan. So. Uh, you're, you're coming along and, I'm coming and, to Melbourne uh, for the entire thing. Joining the bubble, so welcome aboard. Um, the biggest thing I'm looking forward to, and I'm really hoping that, that Rowdy is signed with, as, as we'll be suiting up with Phoenix, but Wednesday, March 10, like that's that's Melbourne versus South East Melbourne. It's the second leg of, 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 that, uh, of that game. So that's that's a throwdown. And if, if Brokoff's in uniform, my goodness. I mean, if Brokoff's in uniform and if Golding is back by then, which yeah. I think there's potential for that, if Shea Ely is back, and fingers crossed, if the restrictions keep getting eased incrementally, then there could be a really decent crowd for what could be a really mm. awesome game. Um, yeah. And, and a potential, I don't know if this is crazy, but a potential grand final uh, preview, right? Oh, here we go. I, I like mean, okay, we, we, we talk, we, we talk about yeah, yeah. Brockoff thrusting Southeast Melbourne into the finals. I feel like if you're in the, the finals in the top four, you got a, you got a decent chance of making the grand yeah. final too. Um, I think, I don't think that's out of the question right now, because again, no, we talk about Melbourne United and then the rest. And yeah. I think the Brockoff signing helps push Southeast Melbourne toward the top of the rest. Right. Yeah. No, I like a strong call. It's a bold call. I like it. Kane, Kane Pittman would be very proud of you right now. I mean, Kane Pittman is a, a fence sitter uh, by nature. Um, so I think he, he's proud of any sort of take, lukewarm or otherwise. Um, is there a team that you're looking forward to seeing in the hub? Is, and is there a team that you think could benefit from the, the style that the hub is, which is a lot of games um, in a short amount of time? Um, I, I honestly, actually, we, we keep talking about the Phoenix, but I think it's them. I think you know they've started to find some some rhythm. You know that in their win over Perth, you know that, that was a really nice bounce back from them. And I think I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how they continue that to do that with in, in such a short time frame. Um, I, yeah, Melbourne United are always a must watch for me. And I guess the other two are, are kind of the two Queensland teams. We we haven't talked about them today, but both the Queensland teams I think could do with you know some reps and you know certainly for Cairns. It, get away from the snag pit and see maybe if they can, you know, turn some things around away from home. Sometimes it, it, it can be just as simple as a change of scenery. Do you, I don't want to go into too much of a segue, but you mentioned the Queensland teams. Brisbane has looked interesting to me. They've, I think they've got generally elite performances out of Sobe and Law, but outside of those two, I don't, I don't know who I trust on that team to produce. Is that why you think this is perfect for them. I think in the same way that yeah. Adelaide had a lot of games early on, naturally, obviously they were at home, so you get that advantage too, but they've had a lot of early games, so they've had some time to figure out their identity. Do you think that's what Brisbane can make the most of? They've, they've played a decent amount of games, but do you think a lot of games in a short amount of time can allow them to come together a bit better and figure out what they are? Yeah, it does. I mean, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because 
all those games means if if you're not right and if your chemistry's off and if you're just not you know executing well at either end, a lot of games in a short time frame mean it's just Groundhog Day and you just no matter what you try, it doesn't work. But I think you're right. I think for them as much as Cairns, and and especially given that you know Sobe and Law have been so good, but you're right that the rest of their roster has shown flashes in patches. They just haven't been able to string consistent four-quarter performances together. And I, I honestly, I have no feeling on Brisbane about how they will go in the NBL Cup because, as I said, with all those games in such a short amount of time, this can go two ways. And there's only two ways it can go. It goes either really good or it goes really bad. And I just, I honestly have no feeling on, on how they're going to do it. Well, look, NBL Cup is... Uh, 36 games, 18 double headers. Uh, that's a lot of games in a short amount of time. There's 36 games in four weeks. Um, so that is going to be, I think, really exciting. Um, I, a lot of players I've spoken to, they're, they're excited not just to, to get to Melbourne and the, the, I'm told that the teams are, they're, they're all prepared to go to Melbourne now. It's happening. Um, but they're excited for next year and the mm-hmm. NBL hub next year because it could have a potential summer league feel to it um yeah and I, I think that's something that they're excited about imagine having an nbl an cup and a hub where everyone can actually go they can go stay in their hotel but they can also go meet up with people and go to the crown and and go out yep. to eat in melbourne and actually yep. do sort of the touristy things that i think the victorian government is paying the money that they are to make this happen um or to yeah. help make this happen um, I think that's. I think a lot of teams, a lot of players I've spoken to, are really looking forward just to doing this again in a non-COVID world, or in like, or in a low-COVID world. Yeah, I, I really. The, the concept in and of itself is 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 a really good one, and I think it's something that that could work. And even you know, going forward, rotating it through different cities um, each year, and and just having that as as something for Absolutely. players to, to to really look forward to. I. I the concept really intrigues me. It's so many games in such a short time. Uh, I can't wait. I, I'm genuinely excited for it. Well, Steve, it's time for Get Real, which is the segment of Ball in the Real World, uh, where we get to rant on something. Uh, not not necessarily rant or not just rant. We can rant on something. We can get something off our chest. You, you have a minute just to be free. Uh, and I think you're going to hit a topic that a lot of people have been talking about this week and especially yeah. a lot of players have been talking about. Yeah, uh, let's talk decals because I think we're at, a, we're at a point now where this needs to be fixed. Like we can't waffle now about, you know, okay, well, we use the same ones that are used in FIBA events. And as you noted on Twitter, they're not the same decals as was used in the Australia Boom, uh, in the Boomers USA game, but they are the ones that have been used in FIBA events. I honestly don't care what events they've been used in. They're clearly an issue at this point. And I think yourself and Andrew Bogut articulated it perfectly. Like at what point are we really going to wait for somebody to get seriously hurt before saying, yeah, they've got to go. Like I know, I know the NBL have said, okay, we've looked into, you know, virtual digital decals, but, and they've said, you know, against, you know, it, it's not in our budget or, or whatever else, but find a solution that, means people won't get hurt because that's that's what's coming next we've seen enough slips and we've seen enough near misses that we know that this is causing an issue why wait on it yeah look i i don't disagree and but at the same time 
I I can step back and say I genuinely don't know the solution to this problem because no, I don't know what the NBL is dealing with. That they've said that they, they don't want to have the the digital electronic sort mm. of um, decal the sponsorship situation, but I think it's just just it's just too obvious what's what's happening, right? Mm. Guys are, guys are slipping at a rate that's just the, the fact is they shouldn't be slipping. <laughs> it's not yeah, even just yeah. there are there are a small amount of slips on these decals. It's just that one slip is too many because one yeah. slip could be one slip could be an ACL. It could be exactly. an ankle injury that has a guy out for four weeks and that could change the the entire projection of, of the NBL ladder. Right. There's well, there's and, too much and, at stake. And, and, even the, money and, at and stake. even the boomers. And even the boomers. Like let's say a national team member slips, God forbid, and does an ACL and that's their Olympic campaign done. Like yeah. these are and, like like you said, yeah, they, these are players' livelihoods. Yeah. And and I get it. It's the money matters, right? Yeah. It's that's that's our society. The money matters. The only way for the NBL to operate is to have these these decals so they can so they can advertise. Um, but there's there's obvious there obviously has to be a balance, which is we would and I think the way we have to see it is we would love for the NBL to advertise. I think all the players would love for the NBL to advertise because that's how they make money. Um, and it's that's the only way they can play professional basketball. These players just don't want to slip and get injured. And I, I don't think that's a tough ask. I think a lot of this onus is on the players' association because, um, as well as the NBL, but the, the players' association said really early on after the Adelaide game where we saw a lot of those slippages, they said that they were going to address this issue. And it's what a month or two later, and we're still talking about it, right? And it, it shouldn't take an Andrew Bogut tweet to force an issue um, as much as that seems to be, I guess the life that we live and the life that he lives, him saying something on Twitter shouldn't be, um, shouldn't be the what, catalyst. What forces that, the NBL no, or exactly. forces the players association to step forward and say, Oh, now we'll do it. Right. And I also yep. just don't like, and I'm going to not really rant, but NBL players, I get, they have Twitter. They can, they can say their piece and I think they should. Um, but if they're doing that and not picking up the phone to call Jacob Holmes at the Players Association, then I think you're doing that wrong. If you're doing both, cool. Don't just complain about an issue and and not take action to try and amend the issue and try and remedy that issue, right? And again, if they're, if they're having their, their say and making sure that the public is aware of it, as well as doing what they can on the back end to amend the issue, awesome. I'm all for that. I think they should do that. I think players speaking out more is a good thing but i, I want to make sure that there's no virtue signaling here i want to make sure that these these players are actually doing the right thing and, and and trying to make an impact functional and practically as opposed to just just for perception yeah for sure i i think it's a two-way street the nbl has to be proactive on this front as well it's it's and and for sure and and i think you know just saying well yeah we're looking at it and things like that I think we're past that now. I think the NBL has to make a move on this. And even if it's in some way, if, even if you say to, to your sponsors and your advertisers, okay, look, we've, we've got to take them off the floor. We'll make it up to you in another way. You know, there are, there are ways in, 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 in advertising and marketing that they can make that up in, in, in a different, you know, in a, some sort of different contra deal. But I think there needs to be action on this soon. Like, because especially with the NBL Cup, I, I just think, the exposure to that, the number of games, if, if something happens, God forbid, in, in any of those games that, that really seriously hurts a player, 
I, I, it's an incredibly bad look given what we've already had and that nothing had been done. Yeah, look, the Jarrell Martin injury is what mm. kind of forced this yeah. new conversation about it. Um, yep. And so he, I don't think his injury is as bad as first thought, which thank goodness for the Kings because they had just unreal injury luck. Um, but again, it shouldn't take an injury for the NBL and for the Players Association to say, oh, now we have to address this. It's clearly been a thing for so long. Um, and yeah, to not address it is, is to... Um, just willingly put the players that you're supposed to support in danger. Um, and I think that's yeah. that. Yeah. Um, my get real topic is on a lighter note or a more positive Excellent. note. Sort of. Excellent. <laughs> um, I want to say that the NBL is not the second most talented league in the world, but I think the NBL is the second best league in the world. And I think there's a difference. The NBA is at the top in both respects and no one's really going to catch up with them probably ever. Um, when it comes to talent, you know, you've got the teams that play in the Euro league, you've got, you know, Spain, France is a high level. Russia's a really solid, yeah. solid level. As far as talent across the board, I don't think the NBL matches up with them, but when it comes to uh, how the league is perceived across the world, the top tier talent, in that league, uh, the culture that that um, comes from each each team, the professionalism of every team, um, every franchise's ownership to management, um, to the way the league is able to function, and then the way it's marketed. I think the NBL is the second best league in the world. It is easily the second most attractive league to be a part of. the The Ryan Brockoff signing is was sort of the thing that put me over the edge. If um, look, it, it came from, a, a, it was a tweet from my friend, Matt McQuaid. And he said, five years ago, this signing doesn't happen. No, you know, can right. you imagine, yeah. can you imagine Ryan Brockoff or Jock Landale or Isaac Humphreys signing in the NBL of five years ago? Probably not. Right. The NBL has, has, has got it together, right? That's what they've done. They, they are more professional. They know how to market their teams. They know how to market their players. It is a legitimate uh, pathway for draft picks to come and, and get drafted. It is a legitimate place for potential NBA players to come and to get to the NBA. We've seen that with Will Magnet. We saw that with Jason Tate. This this league is super attractive. Um, and these top tier guys don't come here five years ago. They come here now because teams are more, more well-connected than ever. Owners are more passionate than ever. Um, and, and the culture that every team has and the talent is growing to a point where this is a legitimate place that NBA scouts want to come here. And it's, it's the one thing that they're, they're so annoyed that COVID has stopped them from coming here because mm. all they want to do is come down here and see Josh Giddy and see Jock Landale and see Mitch yeah. Creek. And, and, and the fact that they can't do that hurts them. Yeah. Um, so I think it, this was the, the Brockoff signing put me over the edge. This is the second best league in the world. If, if the decision is, but it is not the NBA. If, if that's unattainable right now, this is clearly the most, the NBA is clearly the most attractive place to be. And at this point, I don't know if that's a question anymore. I think the NBL has really placed itself well as the best pathway to the NBA outside of the NBA. Yeah. Yeah. Look, and I think, <laughs> 
I think, look, honestly, like you have to go back to like, you know, the, the, the first lockout, like 2012 or thereabouts and Paddy Mills coming back to play for the Tigers. Like that probably sets uh, the ball rolling a little bit, but it, it took a long time between that. And it, as you said, you know, there's probably a period, as you said, five years ago, where that wasn't even considered by players. But you look now, and, and the thing that I think now is that a lot of fringe NBA players will look at the NBL, they'll look at how LaMelo Ball went, they'll look at all the NBA, ex-NBA players with ownership stakes and current NBA players with ownership stakes in, in teams, and they will look at, well, I could maybe make slightly less money and I've got no language barrier and the weather isn't terrible. So everything's fairly... Every team, you're you know, on a beach. Yep, yep. And every, you know, the, the, there's so many, the positives so far outweigh the negatives that it, it becomes, as you said, a really attractive option for, you know, for even someone like a Brandon Paul who has been everywhere. But, yeah. you know, I, I don't think he would have had much hesitation in, in, in coming on board. So I think you're right. I, I think in, it, you're right about the talent level. Like for me, it's, you know, a, a Spanish league probably has more, more talent. It, it probably top to bottom but I think it's all the other ancillary aspects to it that that make the NBL so attractive now and and a lot and in terms of the marketing too I think that's that's definitely helped I think I think you know Larry's Larry's attention to that and understanding that how we're perceived especially in the U.S. has a huge bearing on on that sort of thing going forward and the NBL NBA games I think you know NBA organizations were pleasantly surprised by how professional professionally run the teams were you know and and how competitive especially especially from the second iteration onwards how competitive you know nbl teams were even if it wasn't just a pre-season game um i think all those things add up to a really attractive you know as you said scouting destination as well yeah look and when we speak about talent the, the top tier talent in the nbl can compete anywhere in the world right and i think that's that's a really good sign. And I think that also just helps lift up the rest yep. of the league, right? Yep. Mitch Creek can play anywhere in the world he wants outside the NBA. Same with Jock Landale, same with Isaac Humphreys, right? These yep. guys can go and do that. Bryce Cotton is getting million dollar offers from Europe, but he chooses to stay here and take a bit less money just because yep. of what this league is. Um, and we can't, we also can't overlook the impact that someone like an Andrew Bogut had. Uh, as mm, yeah. volatile as yeah. he may be and as much as it's easy for a lot of people to, to not like the way he handles himself and some people love it, right? But what he did to the Sydney Kings from the inside out was something that I think put this league at a different level. And I think yeah. it's something that a lot of NBA players and former NBA players and um, prospective NBA players saw. And they, they can see that this Andrew Bogut dude was the number one pick in the NBA draft. And he played for the Warriors even after being in the NBL. And he mm. has lifted the culture of the Sydney Kings. And he has, he demanded a standard when it came to resources, when it came when it came to how the, the franchise held itself. And so for him to do that, and then for other teams to sort of try to match that, we've already seen what the Wildcats can do as far as mm. being a professional organization. But yeah, every team now has to has to one up each other because it's there's an arms race when it comes to recruiting too. So yeah. honestly, the, the, the top tier guys that have come back here have just lifted the NBL to a point where it's just beyond attractive to play here. Um, and just the, the ability for the league to not just demonstrate that it's a good pathway to the NBA through LaMelo Ball and RJ Hampton and then Jay Sean Tate and Will Magne and those sorts of guys too. 
but their ability to spread that message too. And yeah. that's, that's that digital marketing team that yeah. has just done an incredible job. Again, not in my mind, not only is it the, the, the second most attractive league in the world, it's, it's the second best marketed league in the world. And I, I don't think those two, are, are, you can't separate those two things. I think they're, no, no, they're sure. really closely married. Yeah, yeah. Like we, you know, we, we talked about before, you know, the best, the group of best Australian players in, in, in the league. And we didn't even talk about Josh Giddy. You know, like he's, he's not obviously in that tier necessarily, but we're not going to see him here again for a long time after this season, more than likely. So, you know, let's enjoy him while, he, while we've got him because he's not going to be back for a while. Yeah. And, 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 and he's a product. Why. That's nice to get this off my chest. <laughs> yeah. And, and, he, and he's a product of that. Like he's a product of, of what Australian basketball has been able to evolve into over the last probably, probably decade. There was, there was a time not long ago, I'd say about five years ago, where if, if, you're an, if you're a young Australian player and your goal is to get to the NBA, there was no desire to play in the NBL. Playing in the NBL was effectively saying that you've given up. I'm settling on the NBL. This is who I am. So for the NBL to, to change its perception among young Australians from being that into mm. being, we are a path, we are a legitimate pathway come here yep. we, we yep. are we are very professional we will yep. treat you well and we have the resources to get you to that next level that's a big shift um and obviously you have to give credit to larry kesselman for, for starting that up and then just to owners across the board for for being passionate and being willing to invest to have those resources um and you talk about the the nba guys who are buying into teams that's not going to stop I'm, uh, every every mm. month I'm told about a new NBA player who, who wants to buy into an NBL team, right? It, it, and there's a reason for that. It's not just because it's sexy to own a team, even though that's probably a little bit of it. It's, it's also because there is value in owning an NBL team because there's value in owning um, stock in something that is just really, really attractive. Mm. Yeah. Yep. No, I couldn't agree more, mate. Awesome. That's a fun way to end. Um, it is. We, we ended on a positive, I think. On a positive um, note. A good rant. Yeah, look, the, the next time we'll see you guys is from the hub. Um, I will be there for the entire time. Steve, I, I, God, I hope he'll visit me. Um, I will see you there, my friend. Look, that runs over four weeks, starting on February 20. Obviously, if you're out there, get to a game. I think, what is it, 17 bucks for, for a double header? For a just good value. We're not, yeah. we're not, we don't work for the NBL and whatever, but just as basketball fans, it's probably a nice thing to do. Um, ESPN will broadcast a bunch of those games too. So stay tuned for that. Obviously stay tuned on ESPN.com.au. We have a round table dropping quite soon. Um, and obviously we pump out a lot of NBL and Australian basketball content across the board. So stay tuned on the website for that. If you like what you heard, rate, review, subscribe, uh, your favorite podcast app do your thing this is ball in the real world i'm olga nulich that's been steve smith we'll see you next time